0: to the Niners Nation podcast, and the sun is shining a little bit brighter, the rain has stopped, and the Kansas City Chiefs are no longer the reigning defending champions of the NFL anymore. Congratulations to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Welcome to another episode of the Niners Nation podcast. With me, as always, is Leo Luna of 49goldmine.com. How are you doing?
1: I'm, I'm doing great. It was kind of one of those, uh, you're just on the outside looking in, laughing, seeing what the Chiefs went through with the penalties that were thrown. And, yeah, you could say, be a little bitter that they didn't get thrown last year. But just seeing them getting thrown now, it's like, ha, yeah, look at you guys now.
0: (laughs) I'm not going to be that guy because I I don't like complaining about penalties and stuff. But it was pretty funny to see all the stupid tweets from uh, Chiefs fans and uh, Chief family members that will not be talked about on this podcast. But... Our special guest this week is Brad Graham of the SFNiners.com. How are you doing, man?
2: I'm doing great. I'm super hyped now after that intro, though. I'm not going to lie. I mean, it's it just feels like one of those days where like
0: everything is finally normal again. You know, we don't have to see Mahomes for a whole year uh, and his stupid face and his stupid hair and his Kermit Frog voice and all that crap. Uh, <laughs> and we don't uh, need to so-
2: talk about the 2020 year anymore, at least in hyper-focused sense.
0: Well, we are going to talk a little bit about the 2020 49 <laughs> a little bit because we have to, but you know, it was, it was, it's just, an, it's nice that, that, that this revenge season is finally over and we can move on. I just feel like this, this, this off season that we are four weeks in now that feels like five years uh, is just going to be the worst off season ever because it's going to be so, there's so many things that Niner fans have to worry about. And, you know, quarterbacks obviously the number one but I think we need to talk about offensive line today and that's why I wanted to bring you on here today. I wanted to talk about, you know, the Niners offensive line in 2020, the Niners offensive line in 2019 and then kind of talk a little bit about what we saw from the Chiefs last night in the Super Bowl and what we saw from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So before well, like the first question is, you know, you are you know a lot about offensive line, so tell me a little bit about what you saw from the offensive line with the 49ers this year.
2: So Clearly, as we know, and we talked, to, you alluded it, to it already, is basically last year wasn't the revenge tour, right? It was a rehab tour. Everyone was hurt. We had injuries early and often, um, starting with the center, the center position. Obviously, Weston Richburg was recovering from injury from the 2019 season. Never made it back. Um, so we had to move forward with Ben Garland. But Ben Garland was also hurt. So we came out, out the gate, starting with Hornes Grossu who was uh, a free agent off the streets and we had to insert him into his the starting center position. And as we saw with the new left tackle in Trent Williams coming over from Washington, it was a little bit of a learning curve for this group. Um, You could tell they're having troubles identifying um, just simple things like the Mike linebacker, how to slide protections, which side. Um, And I think a lot of that starts with that center position um, because you know, as we know, the center position is essentially like the quarterback of the offensive line. Super important in regards to getting everyone in the right position, sliding protection, being able to identify blitzes and all that good stuff. And honestly, when, it, when we're talking about the offensive line, I really, really think it started with that center position. And then it just became a trickle down effect from there.
0: Yeah, it seemed like, you know, you know, people talk so much about Mike McGlinchey and how bad he was, but it felt like There was never really uh, a cohesion or a mesh on the offensive line last year. And, you know, when Joe Staley was there, obviously Joe's a pro. Joe's been there forever. Like, you know, maybe it was just because it was him. But these guys never really got together because the center position was never solidified. They ended up moving a guard to center at one point when Garland got hurt. Like, it was just all over the place. And, you know, they weren't even – I mean, maybe this is a crazy thing to say. I still don't think they were that bad.
2: And they weren't. They really weren't. There were games where – you know, you look at the Rams game, they they function very well as a unit. So they had moments where you saw the, the Kyle Shanahan running game, you know, via the offensive line, they were doing their roles and responsibilities. But where we saw the offensive line fall apart is when the 49ers got behind. Because let's face it, Kyle Shanahan doesn't have This offense that's necessarily meant to throw yourself back into the game because you're playing from behind. And as a result, that puts our tackles on islands. It forces us to deal with these insane blitz concepts that are thrown at us because how I viewed it was these defensive coordinators knew we had an inexperienced group that hadn't played a lot of games together. So the best way to get after them is to throw everything you got at them and see if what they pick up and what they don't. And I think that translated into a lot of struggles across the line. So what I'm going to say is with the offensive line, I agree with with Brad. It's
1: making them pass protect a whole lot more than they're accustomed. And let's look at how Kyle built this offensive line. He built this offensive line with run-first blockers. Uh, that's how this offense is scripted is to, you know, control the ball control the lead and, and run the ball more than 30 times a game but they were just in an unfortunate circumstance with a ton of injuries they weren't playing with the lead very often in the fourth quarter and that affected this offensive line to where it made them look worse under a mi- microscope trying to come back uh, into games um like McGlinchey Outstanding run blocker, suspect pass blocker. Trent right. is just that wild beast that could do both. Lincoln, outstanding run blocker, but he's he's a he's a decent pass blocker, yeah, serviceable. Um, uh, yeah, serviceable pass blocker. Center was just you know run skill was there, Grasu was there. Um, there was no really continuity or staple at that position, which is tough because the center is basically the middle linebacker of the group calling out the defense, you know, showing who the mic is trying to pick up where the blitz is coming. Um, that's, he has a lot of responsibility. And with that position being a revolving door, that's going to hurt. And then same thing with the right guard, when you have Tom Compton in there, like, like, what are you going to expect? Uh, this offensive line was worse than 2019 uh, by a personnel standpoint but I don't think it's this big drastic to where people are making it out to be I think it's just the way the games ended up becoming such a pass heavy offense and it just made everyone do what they're not accustomed to do or or not have McGlinchey do what he's best at and just let him go out there lead blocking
2: oh you're absolutely right and you're It's perfect transition kind of into McGlinchey a little bit, too, because like you mentioned earlier, McGlinchey, I could make you the argument that McGlinchey is the best run blocking tackle in the NFL. I can have that legit, legitimate conversation with you. But when we transition to looking at McGlinchey in the pass game, there there are real concerns and those concerns come from technique. It comes from mental processing and it also comes from the group not being on the same page because I saw a play earlier in the year where you have Trent Williams basically out on the island by himself because he's sliding a, com- the complete opposite direction of where the, the rest of the offensive line is, is going. And that's a simple miscommunication. But in a vacuum, you're like, Trent, what are you doing? Like, how, how are you doing that? Like, how are you all the way over there completely out of the play? But in reality, that was likely a miscommunication from the center. And so with Mike McGlinchey and you are playing from behind and they are understanding that your weakness is as a pass blocker, these guys, you know, when I'm saying these guys, these defensive ends, these outside linebackers, these blitzing, you know, nickelbacks, what have you, they're, they're foaming at the mouth. Because when their defensive coordinator says, go all out and go get these guys, they know there's a, a real likelihood that they're going to get home because this offensive line wasn't set up to be able to manage the type of blitzes that they were throwing at them because they're just inexperienced. And so you take that, that mental anguish of just being like, oh, like, how am I going to to manage this just protection while you have the best, you know, one of the best defensive ends in the league coming at your face, snap after snap, knowing it's a pass. And so with McGlinchy, I think we saw a lot of mental struggles translate into physical struggles where he was pressing on technique, technique wasn't hitting, his, his pass set wasn't right, his lever- leverage wasn't right, and it just it basically snowballed into... This situation now where we 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 do have people who make it a point to point out those issues in McGlinchey. So it, it's just a t there's a lot of context behind it, is essentially what I'm trying to say.
0: And Leo, you know, you mentioned that that you think that the offensive line was worse this year, but it wasn't drastically worse. And so many people talk about how, you know, oh, it doesn't matter if the Niners had gotten Tom Brady, he would have got killed behind this offensive line. I don't think that's the case. Real quick, Brad, like this idea that people don't really understand that, you know, a mobile quarterback isn't always a guy who runs the ball. A mobile quarterback is just someone who knows how to move around
2: uh, in the like, pocket. Yeah,
0: exactly. So like tell I mean explain that a little bit better.
2: So part of the the misconception with QB pressures is a lot of that is dictated by the quarterback and not necessarily the offensive line. Because for example, you know, all these plays are timed. They're all, they're very timing specific, you know, three-step hitch and go with the quarterback, right? Hit that plant foot, let that ball ride. But if you don't hit that timing and then you're searching for your next read or you don't have your hot, you know, your hot route indicated ahead of time, that throws everything out of control. So, I just saw i just saw a situation where we saw issues compound on top of each other and when it came to you know trying to keep the quarterback upright that was a lot because of our quarterbacks you know our quarterbacks weren't delivering the ball on time they weren't finding their hot reads and they weren't identifying blitzes and pressures so as a result you're holding the ball too long you're and so a quarterback like brady he And you saw it throughout the season with Tampa. They, you know, how many integrated, um, you know, running back leaks that they had. So if anything was covered immediately, had a running back to drop it off to. Um, That's that's how you protect your offensive line. Is you have the outlet if they're bringing full pressure, they're bringing pressure off one side. You already know where your read is going based on that pressure, and that helps your offensive line so much and if you have inexperienced quarterbacks or you have quarterbacks who aren't reading the field or seeing the field as it should be or your offensive line isn't communicating back to your quarterback based on what the protection needs to be it just becomes this giant cluster uh basically it's just a trickle-down effect right and it all starts in the trenches and if if you're not right in the trenches, it's going to be really hard to be right at quarterback. But if you're also not right at quarterback, it's going to make it really hard on the trenches as well. So it's, it's a, really a double-edged sword.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, uh, yes, Brady, you know, he's been in the league so long, he would know how to navigate some sort of pressure. It wouldn't just stand there like a statue like, you know, what we saw with Nick Mullins for a lot of those games he played. I mean, in Europe, uh, you know, obviously, I don't want to talk too much about what I believe is the butterfly effect with where, you, you know, depending on, What quarterback the Niners go with? Some things change. Maybe they're less injured. Maybe maybe they get the same injury. But thinking about this offensive line and thinking about the Tom Brady we saw in the Super Bowl, that Tom Brady being behind this offensive line, what kind of stuff do you think the Niners would have saw this season?
2: I think they would have saw the same pressures um, early, but I think Tom Brady is an advanced enough quarterback to get with Kyle and be like Kyle. They're bringing pressure, overloading from the right side we need my running we need our running back to leak out the left if we can we can identify that pre snap so those simple things then back the dogs off you know like okay we're bringing pressure but they have an answer for it we have to go back to our base coverages and more of our base concepts because they they have an answer for the blitz and that was part of our issue last year was that we didn't have an answer for the blitz and i guarantee you The veteran GOAT, Tom Brady, would come in, and which I saw him do with Tampa, and say, this is how we need to handle these situations. So I'm successful, and that offense is successful. And right now, with Jimmy and Nick and CJ, they don't have that juice. They don't have that confidence yet. So it's really hard for them to come to Kyle, right, and say, okay, we're doing these things, and they're keying on us. How do we key off of that? And I think that that's what we we lost with not having Tom Brady, if if that makes sense.
1: I think a lot of it as well as accountability. Um, they didn't really have anyone when it was misread on blitzes, missed assignments. Um, they didn't have anyone, at least from a quarterback perspective or an offensive line. But I didn't see one person on the offensive line, you know, get fired up and and talk these guys into we need a fix this immediately. Uh, I didn't see that. You would see that from Joe Staley throughout his career. So his presence was missed in that way. We've seen uh, Brady yell at his offensive line in the past when they would do misreads. Um, Yeah. I'm not saying I'm an advocate to yell at your offensive line. That's, that's (laughs) never a good thing when you do that. But when you had Garoppolo come up from a sack and he's kind of the, all right, next play type of person, And then Nick Mullins would do the same exact thing. And then you hear the pressers after the game. Glenn, like, oh, you know, I had a full game besides three plays. Yeah, those three plays were crucial. And the offensive line, like that was the same narrative everybody did. It was just a lack of accountability. And that's why you didn't see them progress from week one to week 17, because nobody was holding themselves or their teammates accountable to the public eye. Obviously, I'm not in those locker rooms. Nobody was, especially during a COVID year. And so you didn't hear those conversations. So everything that we heard that was public or what we saw on the sidelines on TV, it no one was accountable. And that's why they didn't progress. They, they need someone to say, fix your shit, basically. <laughs> and Brady would have done that for sure.
0: Let's talk about the 2020 Super Bowl real quick and compare it to the 2021 Super Bowl. The Niners defense last year was probably just as good. Maybe, I mean, there's probably arguments to be made, but this Buccaneers defense was very good. The Niners defense was around this, that kind of caliber, I think. That's not a crazy thing to
2: say, right? No, not at all. Okay. Yeah, so, it,
1: Niners defense was better last year. I would year. say it's and,
2: better as well. Yeah, yeah. I would say it's better.
1: The, the, just based on the personnel in the secondary, uh, Tampa Bay has some good players like Winfield back there, Carlton Davis could put up you know, a highlight game, any given game, or he could put up a highlight game for the receiver, any given game. So he was a lot of, you know, up and down. Um, But I'm giving the 49ers the edge, at least the 2019 49ers the edge, just because of their secondary was ahead of K-1 from the slot corner. They're a better defense than Tampa Bay is. So continue.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And so the narrative today has been, hey, Todd Bowles should have gotten... MVP, the defense was phenomenal. But I don't think, okay, and this is me kind of just from a broad perspective, I don't necessarily think the defense is what won them the game last night. If we think about Tom Brady and what he brought to this Buccaneers team versus what Jimmy Garoppolo had with the 49ers last year, the minute they hit that 28-point mark, it started to feel like there was no way Mahomes would come back. There, with the Niners, we saw a lot of nine-man boxes. Which stopped the run in that second half, and then they they forced Jimmy Garoppolo to throw, and so I feel like the MVP was right with the Super Bowl being Tom Brady.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't think you're you're incorrect with that um, assessment of Tom Brady being deserving. I I'm definitely on the the other side though as well, um, saying that that defense was that defensive performance was special in the sense that it was perfect complementary football. And I think that's what we get. We get so hyper-focused in the, quarter, the quarterback conversation that sometimes it's easy to forget that football is a complementary game, you know, all three phases. Obviously, we talk about that all the time. But when you have a defense that is playing with their hair on fire, you have these edge dudes and Pierre Paul and Barnett, or barrett flying flying off the edge you know sue coming up the middle you have two of the the premier linebackers in the game in white and um um, i'm blanking on my other guy from uh, levante david thank you very much levante david um that that helps your offense so much because you you call the game differently from an offensive perspective because you know your defense can get after it. So, from my takeaway from that game last night was I came away super impressed with the front seven of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and it really just reiterated to me, you know, you asked the question who had a better defense, 2019 or you know, 2019 Niners versus this Super Bowl defense, I I would really pick the Niners. And it really came back to that front seven, how dominant we were at the line of scrimmage, allowing our linebackers to roam, make plays. I saw a lot of that with Tampa Bay. So it just, it really, yes, Tom Brady, the GOAT, he deserved the MVP, but you can't, you have to give a lot of credit to that defense. That defense did a lot of good last night.
1: Yeah. I would say Brady deserved that MVP because he did what Garoppolo couldn't do, and that was just create the drives that knocked out Kansas City. Yes, Tampa Bay's defense was electric in that game and did something that no one has ever done to a Patrick Mahomes offense in the NFL, but I definitely give it to Brady because he made KC basically put their head down and knew that they were out of that game midway of the fourth quarter, when Casey's not, they don't do that to anybody else. And that's just because of the legend that Tom Brady is.
0: So the conversation is, okay, if the Niners defense was better than what we saw from the Bucs last night, why did the 49ers lose the Super Bowl while the Buccaneers did win the Super
1: Bowl? Well, it, I just think it goes back to Brady did what Garoppolo didn't do. Um, A lot of that game in that fourth quarter, Garoppolo would check out of, you know, a run play if it, if if he didn't see it fit and there was just passes left on the table while Brady was able to convert those third downs into first downs and, and continue the drive and continue to put points on the board. And that's that's eventually what it came down to is they got touchdowns.
2: Yeah, and, and I would agree. It's it's basically the reason why the the 49ers couldn't pull it out, I feel like, is because they kind of they played this this game with their momentum of not hitting the gas all the way. I kind of felt like Shanahan was pumping, you know, the break gas, kind of really trying to be extremely careful, which honestly felt like how he handled Jimmy all the 2019 season. So I just kind of felt like from an offensive standpoint, going like in that 2020 Super Bowl, it just felt like we weren't operating at a hundred percent full gas. it It felt like we were operating. Be careful, um, don't turn over the ball, mitigate mistakes. Um and I feel like sometimes when you you go about your business that way, you can sometimes bring that that energy back on yourself. Um, so that's kind of what you know it, and it all that translates into Jimmy, how Jimmy operates, et cetera. Um, But for me, that's kind of how it felt and why we kind of saw ourselves teeter off there at the end of the 2020 Super Bowl.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's why, you know, this idea that, you know, when when just guys on Twitter are saying that, like, there's obviously something that Shanahan is doing with Garoppolo that is kind of trying to hide him, is why I don't understand why we shouldn't be talking about quarterbacks. And when we get back from the break real quick, I think it's time to talk about some more quarterbacks because it wouldn't be the Niners Nation podcast without talking about quarterbacks.
2: <laughs> I'm excited to talk some quarterbacks, too.
0: It's crazy because it feels like every week there is another quarterback to talk about. And I think this week there's two that are a little, little less interesting, but they're still nonetheless could be potential upgrades. So let's start with uh, – and then there's also one that we've been talking about. and I, I, We had a really good conversation off-air, Brad, about you know, Watson and what that could mean in the future. But let's talk about the less interesting guys real quick first. So Carson Wentz probably had one of the worst seasons I've seen out of a quarterback not named Nick Mullins uh, <laughs> ever this year, and I think you know a lot of people are blaming him for it. I think it's part of the reason is the coaching. Like you know, you know more about Carson Wentz than most people, or any person I brought on this show. So I mean, like, what do you see when you see Carson Wentz? You know, obviously, I think he's going to go for more. Then, you know, a Sam Darnold would. But I mean, what do you see with Carson Wentz and what kind of stuff could
2: he do to improve and, and become, you know, the quarterback that people want him to be? Right, right. And I'll try and preface, preface my, my Carson Wentz understanding in a way because I play dynasty fantasy football. It's, it's basically, if you don't know about dynasty, it's the closest thing to being a GM of your own fantasy team as possible. So I drafted Carson Wentz as my QB1 back in 2017. So from that moment that I drafted Carson in 2017, I've tracked everything he's done. That's the same goes for Deshaun Watson because he was my other quarterback, as well as Jared Goff. Those were my three quarterbacks that I took. So with Carson, I've tracked his entire career. And we all know how he played up until the ACL injury, correct? He was on an MVP pace he was tearing up the league he was like yep this is this is why carson went number 2 right and this is why you know philly came up and got him he he is the legit real deal but he tears his acl then you have to deal with nick foles becoming a legend a legend winning the super bowl and just dominating that market as a backup quarterback right You have to understand that that is going to be a a hindrance on your mental progression and processing. And not only that, you know, do you see your team hoist the Lombardi with someone else at quarterback? Um, But when you come back, it seems to be a downward progression. Um, Your offensive line begins to deteriorate. Um, They experienced and coming jumping up to this year, They've experienced probably the same or if not worse O-line circumstances that the 49ers dealt with. Um, They kept their center, and that was about it. Everything else was a revolving door. Um, You had Zach Ertz fall off. You had no wide receivers on the outside. Your coaching and ownership was clearly not on the same page. Um, You draft Jalen Hurts in the second round. Um, I think the writing was on the wall for Carson, um, with how this, the, the team built the roster around him. Um, there are so many negatives that went against Carson that that is going to impact how you play. It's going, you know, Carson made Greg Ward a name to know in fantasy football. Like he made these just random guys become relevant. And we saw him come into Levi's and beat us only him. He beat us, no one else. So Carson has it in him. But I think there's a lot to look at from a contextual standpoint to understand his struggles, you know, from that point of the ACL to now. Um, there There's a lot that's happened between then and there. So I think with Carson, he needs a fresh start. But when it comes to ability and talent, I still think Carson Wentz is one of the top quarterbacks in this league. What Carson Wentz needs to get a handle on is his processing, his confidence, and everything else that comes with that. And I think he will be able to do that once he gets out of that really toxic situation in Philly, and and I think he'll be okay.
1: Uh, I'm kind of on the the same page as that because, like, no excuse for this season. He was drastically bad, even though his O-line was just as bad as well. His sack percentage was 10.3. That's basically double than what 2019 was. Like Brad said, he's out there playing with Greg Ward, who was a qu- quarterback in college. Um, mm-hmm. And he's just, you know, Fulgham made him a name, and he's a guy who's been cut on practice squads. So, yes, he was bad this year. But looking, you would scratch this year out, I think it's just one of those chemistries to where it's bad vibes, you're you're not in it to win it, you're just going through the motions, you're he was also trying to force so many things because that offense personnel was so, so bad. And so you look back into 2019, are we gonna forget that he's the reason why Philly got to the playoffs? He single handedly put that team on his entire back and took them to the playoffs after starting out under 500 on the season. And last in 2019, 27 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. Um, in 2018, 21 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. And, of course, that MVP year that was cut short, 33 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. So he's still a good quarterback. He just needs to be in a better place because Philly ain't it for, for Carson Wentz. He actually had a career high this season
2: with three fourth quarter comeback wins. Yeah, that's, that's, and that's saying something in of itself right there.
0: Talking about Wentz, you know, what would you give up for a Carson Wentz? And is he an upgrade over Jimmy Garoppolo?
2: He's
1: absolutely <laughs> that, an upgrade oh, over Jimmy Garoppolo. Absolutely. Um, I'm paying what the market price is or what it should be. Not necessarily what it is, what it should be. And I would gladly give up the second round pick of this year's draft. There's no way in hell I'm giving up pick 12 for Carson Wentz. You got to buy him low. So you buy him low. You threw out a second round pick.
2: I'm 100% with Leo. And that's coming from someone who is a Wentz truther. I I will go to bat for Wentz any day of the week. But in regards to Wentz and his fit for the 49ers, it just seems like another lateral move. You know, kind of what what I view McGlinchey, when we drafted McGlinchey number nine at all, number nine overall, when we had Trent Brown already on the roster, it's because they were replacing Trent Brown and it really just felt like a lateral move. I understand why it needed to be done, but when you're looking at the roster and the roster construction, it just felt like a lateral move with Wentz and all the baggage he brings, you know, ACL tear, Jimmy had an ACL tear mentally. Have they ever come back to form as we had seen prior I would say no with Wentz. Wentz hasn't been as dramatic of a drop-off as Jimmy, but I still see similarities. Now, I think Wentz deserves to go to a place where he can be nurtured and flourish. But when I look at his his fit for the Niners from a compensation standpoint to give up valuable assets to acquire a quarterback who kind of reminds me of Jimmy right now, it it kind of feels feels like a road I don't want to go down and that is someone who like I said I will go to bat for Carson once any day of the week but when it comes to coming onto the team that I call mine which is the 49ers I just feel like it just doesn't it's not the move I would make and and that's even with all the 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 support I have for once, I just feel like I would go in a different direction rather than giving up assets for a quarterback that kind of reminds me of Jimmy Garoppolo right now.
0: Okay, so if you won't give up for Carson Wentz, the other quarterback domino that seems like it's about to fall here in the next couple weeks is Sam Darnold. And so Sam Darnold's a different situation. He's still on a rookie contract. I think he has one year left. But, I mean, he's never really shown anything playing for, granted, it's the Jets, but... It would be a similar situation to what you dealt with Jimmy Garoppolo, where if you did trade for him, you'd have him for a year on a, you know, a cheap contract, and then you would then have to pay him you know, if he played really well. So, I mean, what do you know about Sam Darlin? What do you think of you know, his fit with the 49ers, Brad?
2: I'll try my best to mention the positives first. Um, <clears throat> I think he has armed talent. I think he has the ability to put the ball wherever he wants on the field. Um, I think that's a lot of what made him a top five pick, you know, coming out of USC. A lot of people saw that arm talent and that arm talent. It is special. But unfortunately, from my evaluation, you know, evaluating him coming into the draft from USC and what I've seen up until this point, you know, I didn't have a glowing evaluation of him. Um, I really didn't think he was going to be a super successful quarterback in this league. I had an opportunity to watch Sam Darnold live um, against Cal. And one of my evaluate, like the, the thing that stuck out the most was he made really poor, t- poor decisions at really crucial points in the game. And he threw. Three of some of the, the oddest picks I've seen, and if you guys go back and look at that game, they're just poor decisions. But then on the flip side, I'm watching that, that same game, and he's making incredible throws. And so I came away like that's, that's what Sam Darnold is. He has the arm talent. He has the ability. But when it comes to putting it all together and becoming that full package, uh, being a leader of men, coming in and commanding a locker room and a huddle, understanding the verbiage and being able to get people in the right position, reading defenses and then doing your job. I don't know if Sam Darnold has it in him. Obviously he's infamous for his I'm seeing ghost comment. And that all plays into my evaluation pre draft. So for me, I I will, you know, I run my page, my page is very, you know, the SF Niners is very player friendly. This that that would be a move that I would openly not not welcome. <laughs> to put it nicely, is so that's kind of how I feel about Sam. I'm very very weary of Sam, and especially giving up assets for Sam. That's my opinion. Leo?
1: yeah, um, so I think it's just really hard to justify to the team and the fan base we're getting rid of Jimmy for Sam Darnold. At least with Carson Wentz, you've saw him play at a MVP level before. Yes, pre-ACL. I get it. Stop telling me. Um, (laughs) And and you saw him lead a bad offense into the playoffs, and it was a team that was under 500, and he got them onto a playoff push into the playoffs. Um, So I think you could justify that move. I don't think you could justify Sam Darnold because I have trust in coach. I'm a— shanna shanna stan so yeah like one if sam darnold does go to the 49ers one if he does play good well what the hell is that gonna mean that that means darnold's gonna get a pretty sizable contract whether it's from san francisco or not so i have a trouble um you know giving up assets because what it's sounding like it's could be a late one or early two um it's it's sounding like it's gonna be a one but I, I just have trouble giving up such early compensation for, for Sam Darnold because can he lead men, yes or no? And for Sam Darnold, it seems like it's the answer is always no. Um, mm-hmm. He had only one season where he won more than he lost, and that was in 2019. So come in 2020, same play caller, um, got another asset at wide receiver, Um and got worse. Yeah, and they got they got worse in 2020. He finished less than 10 touchdowns in 12 starts. So I'm just out. I'm I'm so far out on Sam Darnold.
0: How much of that do you think is the Adam Gase effect? I mean, think about this. Ryan Tannehill was pretty awful, and then he goes to Tennessee leaves Adam Gase and becomes, you know, one of the better quarterbacks in the league. Do you think that's a factor there? Or do you think this is a
2: different
1: thing? I don't think Tannehill was that awful with the Dolphins. His first year as a starter, they got into the playoffs. And um, I, I think it's, you know, you lose that confidence in your play caller in Adam Gase. So I think that has... He certainly has a lot to do with it. Adam Gase does. It looks like they were trying to lose, and he was thinking that he was going to keep his job and somehow land Trevor Lawrence. And the Jets said, no, 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 no. You're out of here too, buddy. And so, eh, yeah, he has some factor into it, but it it's not enough for me to say, yeah, let's bring in this sub-60% completion guy, this sub-10 touchdown guy. Um, is, do I think he's more naturally gifted than Jimmy? Yes. But do I think Jimmy is better for the team?
2: Yes. And, and I would echo that too because essentially I am I came on, I already knew who Sam, at least I felt like I knew who Sam was before he entered the Jets or was ever drafted by them. So based on my pre-draft evaluation, all I ever really felt like Sam did was prove me right. So – I have a hard time, and I know coaching matters. Coaching 100% matters. So I will never say that, you know, a new coach could come in and completely transform his career. I think that is possible. But when you have a prospect who is already preloaded with those issues and concerns, and then he enters the league and those are just amplified, for me, that seems like a project more than a plug-and-play guy and i know kyle kyle wants a a guy to come in and do it all right now he's not trying to you know reteach the fundamentals of being a quarterback to someone he wants a guy ready to go rock and roll here's my scheme now go execute it so when it comes to giving up assets for someone like like darnold it's just a it's a straight up no for me
0: and I, I think I, I'm, I'm right there with both of you guys. I don't want Darnold or Wentz. I, I think you know you said you, you want Wentz. I don't even really want Wentz. I think I'd rather have Jimmy than both those guys. But if there is one guy that I would have over both of those guys, it's Deshaun Watson. And I think the conversation with Deshaun Watson is going to get really interesting. We had a really cool conversation before this show, me and Brad, that I wanted to put on air for people to hear. And it's that this idea that these teams are using the Texans – to raise to – th- thinking they're going to raise the price of, of of Deshaun when I think in the end it's going to lower the price. You know, I think we will see Wentz on another team. We'll see Darnell on another team before Watson even – there's more even an inkling of Watson really getting moved. Well, then now you look at some of these reports by some of these insiders, these people that actually people tend to listen to, you know, when they break stuff, the Jason leigh Foras, the Peter Kings, uh, are saying the 49ers are in on Watson. And I totally think that's a true thing. I think that they are totally – Looking at this Watson situation, especially what you just said, Brad, this idea that he doesn't want a guy to relearn the quarterback position, have to teach him all these new things. Watson is ready now. Watson comes into this team right now. They probably win the Super Bowl with that defense they have. So, like, let's talk about that conversation we had. This idea that they, you know, rumored to have offered three first-round picks for Deshaun Watson, and Houston said no. I think by the end of this, when we get closer, as we get closer and closer to the draft, I think that Houston's going to be more reliant to take something like a three first-round picks, maybe two-thirds, something like that.
2: Yeah, and what we were talking about offline was essentially how this whole leverage game is playing out, right? Because we saw Deshaun Watson come out and use social media to leverage a trade like we've never seen before. I mean, we've seen players hint at it, but Deshaun went all in. And so, but that's leverage for himself. It's not leverage for the Texans. And then, as we saw that story come out, we saw Stafford becomes available, and like you alluded to, all these other quarterbacks become available. That stales the Texans' value in a sense because there's other options. When we when we come up to you know Nick Casario, and we're like, hey Nick, um, we really want to Sean, but we can't we can't give you Nick Bosa and three first round picks. That's just not going to happen. We can give you some other packages. And they're just like, you know what? We just saw what, what gave the Rams gave up for Stafford. You know what? We don't want, we don't want that. That doesn't, the value doesn't match what we think we should get for Deshaun. So essentially how I'm viewing this and why it's, it's seemingly sounding like all the, the Deshaun offers and, the Texans fielding those have been shut down is because I feel like they understand that the Texans, the organization just doesn't have the leverage at the moment because there are still quarterbacks available. There are still quarterbacks in the draft, really good quarterbacks in the draft. Um, so how, how do you, how do you justify requesting the moon plus some from these teams to get Deshaun when they're just like, you know what? It's a value game. We're going to go this route based on value. And so that's why it would be in the, the Texans' best interest to just wait. Wait until all these quarterbacks get traded and then wait until draft time to see who needs a quarterback at that point. Free agency done. Teams are built, essentially. Who really needs a quarterback? And then that's when the real price will come out, in my opinion.
0: The other thing, too, is... If the Texans are going to move on from Watson, which it looks like they will, it really seems like there's no way he's going to play this season. You know, it could still happen, but that would be crazy to me. At what point do the Texans start to get a little bit more antsy about the fact that, you know, if we trade Deshaun, we have nothing? You know, when do they kind of be like, oh, we should probably try and get some more picks to trade up in the draft and get a guy or, you know, figure out a way to go get a new quarterback for that team?
2: Yeah, and I think it, I think you said it. it, has to be the draft and I think that's why I think that's why they're really going to kind of shut things down until free agency passes. These, you know, Wentz, Darnold, those guys are traded and off to their new teams. And then you're left with the San Francisco 49ers, clearly looking to get out of the Jimmy Garoppolo business, needing a quarterback. That then raises the value of Deshaun again because it's it's the simple supply and demand concept, right? Right now there's a decent supply for NFL quarterbacks, especially looking forward to the draft. So from the Texans' standpoint, they're better just to kind of wait, let the Wentz, let the Darnold stuff play out, and then see who's really desperate for a quarterback, i.e. the Rams giving up everything for Stafford. You know, they want that. They want that kind of haul for Deshaun, and I don't blame them. And so, in my opinion, they're best suited to wait until right before the draft to start stoking that fire again and really seeing who's interested and who's going to pay because they need to know by the draft.
1: Yeah, I just have a feeling that Houston's going to find a way to screw this up um, and kind of do the Houston thing to where they're going to try to have Deshaun come to camp. They're going to wait till the preseason. Week 1 comes, Deshaun's still a Texan, but he's not there at the game, he's not starting, he's legit holding out. I feel like that's what the Texans may be doing. Um but and I also see if everyone figure out what they were doing at quarterback, whether it's trades, free agency, draft, and then the only suitor there is the 49ers. I feel like that could possibly lower Deshaun Watson's price because one of Carolina's have, they end up with Justin Fields and they're ecstatic. So now they're, you know, they'd rather take his rookie contract because they feel like he's going to be great. Or um say the Lions, they end up with like Zach Wilson or, the, or whoever. Well, Deshaun, first off, won't even go to the Lions anyways, I guess. And everyone's happy with what they have at quarterback. And then you have the Niners there with their three ones and they're like, dude, like, this is all you're gonna get. Take it. The guy's not sooning up. He's not he you know, he's not in the building. Take it. So that's what I'm hoping for. I, I'm hoping for a situation where te- Texans have to force their hand and trade them at a lower price
0: than what they thought they were gonna get. Do you really think that it's gonna get that far though? That's the question. When I feel like once we get close to the draft and they're starting to realize maybe Deshaun's serious you know, with guys like, you know, Zach Wilson and Justin Fields and Trey Lance in this draft, do you say, okay, you know what, we'll take less to get rid of Deshaun and get another quarterback that we can groom, you know, with our new head coach and stuff like that?
2: I think Houston just wants Deshaun. <laughs> I, I agree. And and I think I think my personal like perception of what's what's going on is I feel like this is a battle between 49ers and Texans front office in, in regards to value, because I think at the end of the day, I think it's really clear that that's where Deshaun wants to go. And I think it's really clear that the 49ers want Deshaun. But just like everything we've seen, whether it comes to our own personal players' contracts, our team, the 49ers, will push it to the, to the brink before acquiescing. And I think the Texans are going to do the same thing. So where the Texans start getting really nervous is if they see the 49ers truly pivot and trade for and once, trade for Darnold, or something that we don't think is going to happen, and you see Kyle Shanahan jump up and grab Justin Fields or or Wilson or Lance, one of these rookies. If that occurs, then what Leo's talking about I think becomes a true – like a real thing that could happen. Like, just like lab bell held out. I think you could totally see something happen like that
0: from everything we've heard and everything. It's, you know, it seems like that's where the Niners have been this whole time. You know, there were rumors they were offering, you know, certain things for Stafford, not including 12. I think the only player that they're willing to offer first round picks for is Deshaun. And I think that, you know, obviously you, we have sources, we've talked to people or whatever, you know, they have obviously made offers with first-round picks to the Houston Texans for Deshaun. And so it comes down to how long does this game play out before San Francisco's like, okay, we cannot go into another season with Jimmy freaking Garoppolo when we know we can beat Tampa Bay and go to the Super Bowl. We know we're better than them. Let's just go give them, the Texans what they want, get Deshaun, and see what happens.
2: <sighs> yeah, that's, that's the scenario that we, we all want to know because, honestly, I, I just don't see – I don't see how anything could get done at least in the short term because as long as the 49ers can flirt with Wentz and Sam Darnold, they're never going to they're never going to offer true value. So, I think it, it's just going to come down to a waiting game and hopefully once we get closer to the draft, once every all these pieces start falling into place, we will see the 49ers get a little bit more aggressive and and that's what what i'm hoping to see but it's a double edged sword for both franchises because if they mishandle this and you know Deshaun ends up sitting out for a year and the 49ers don't get their quarterback it just it looks bad for everyone yeah and it
1: well i just want to say if the 49ers do acquire Deshaun Watson so many people are going to be surprised that they were able to do it without Nick Bosa Nick Bosa's <laughs> You don't have to trade Nick Bosa to get Deshaun Watson. You really like, don't. <laughs> that that started from Ross Tucker, being being on the radio in San Francisco, and they asked him, "Oh, is Nick Bosa touchable?" He goes, "Yes." And then everybody ran with it and threw mm-hmm. Nick Bosa in all these mock trades and like, "Come get the hell out of here! You're trading Nick Bosa plus two ones? Like, yeah, Nick Bosa's you could trade him, but you're giving up two ones as well. Like, ah, oh, come on, that's that's not gonna happen. You saw what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did last night and they destroyed Pat Mahomes. Well, guess what? Shaquille Barrett was their leading pressure guy and he still had less than Bosa last season. So yeah, one less pressure, not being held
2: by him either.
1: Exactly. So like, yes, they can make this trade without Nick Bosa. I'm just so tired of seeing Nick Bosa in these mock trades because I guarantee you Houston's probably going to tell San Francisco like, Hey, uh, what about Nick Bosa?
2: bosa they're gonna be like <laughs> stop that conversation is dead <laughs> and since we're on that topic i would say there there's three untouchables for me it's it's bosa it's Kittle, it's fred those three i would slap with the untouchable tag do not trade do not do anything you sign lock them up they're franchise cornerstone pieces you can build an offense and defense off these players, especially with what Kyle Shanahan executes on offense with Kittle, um, I'm not moving those guys. You can you can convince me of anything else for Deshaun Watson. They say
1: they want young defensive stars, um, so okay. You look at this is all rumored. Who knows if it's even true um, for, on that aspect? So you could, I'd say you could throw in Drake Greenlaw's name and take out Nick Bosa because Nick Bosa is not going to happen. You could throw in Drake Greenlaw because his contract's going to be up in two years and they're going to pay a boatload of money for Fred Warner. So how much money are you going to pay for the, you know, both inside linebackers and Greenlaw is a star in my mind. He Greenlaw is a star. So it fits that young defensive stars.
0: Yeah. I mean, before we end this show real quick, uh, what do you guys think? You know, give me a hypothet. Each of you give me a hypothetical trade before we end the show this week. We for we're going a little long, but uh, what is your hypothetical trade that you would do for Deshaun right now?
2: Ooh, Leo, got, go, Leo! I got my trade already in the bag.
1: Okay, so I think they could do it with three ones: Dre, Greenlaw, and Tarvarius Moore.
2: Ooh, spicy. Um, so my trade is a lot heavier because I'm okay with moving um some late round picks. So essentially, how I'd have it is three first round picks, three third round picks. Keeping in mind, we just received three compensatory picks for the next three years for uh, the Martin Mayhew hire in Washington. As well as uh, Robert Sala higher in New York, so I'm okay moving three third rounders because I already know I got three coming back. So easy, three firsts, three thirds. Um, When it comes to a players, I agree. I can I can justify moving Dre Greenlaw. It it would hurt from uh, because he's a fan favorite, the Seahawk killer. We he's had some iconic moments, so I know that would be a little bit tough for fans to kind of wrap their head around. But I would be okay personally adding that asset into the mix because there's already guys I'm looking at who in this draft who could come in and replace some of his production um, with with another player. I think Eric Armstead would be a good guy to for that fits the Texans with the need for edge players with JJ Watt likely leaving the team. Um it also gets us out of future cap um consequences um as well. But on top of that, you can name me I can give you four to five mid to late round picks over the next three years. How whatever you want. Just a little sprinklers on top. So essentially I can give you three first, three thirds, an additional four to five mid to late round picks over the next three years, and two plug and play starters. Um, and that's how I, I try and get the deal done. So Brad is a sprinkles on his ice cream type of guy. Noted. Oh, and oh, totally. You know, if you're trading with me in Dynasty Fantasy Football, you're always going to get the little sprinkles. Just a, the <laughs> little sweeteners. Just be like, ah, I'm on the fence, but, you know, four or five, you know, five to seventh round range picks. Like, well, I could work with that.
0: So True. basically, this is going to be a situation for us to kind of watch as we continue this offseason that has felt like five years already Absolutely. and you know it sure feels like you know every week I th- that that you know another quarterback comes out to talk about it does feel like this is more like when you're looking at the tiers of things the 49ers want you know like Wentz and Darnold are probably in there somewhere but like the top of the hill is Deshaun Watson and you know the people who say that you know John Lynch doesn't have the the cojones <laughs> uh, pull off something like this. I think that he does. I think that for the right player, they will do it. They didn't get Cleo Mac because it was the Raiders. This is the Texans. There is no thing that's going to stop them if they offer the right thing.
1: Yes, I fully believe in that. I'll be an advocate for that. I think he can pull it off because the Cleo Mac situation is a perfect example. Um, It was known the 49ers had the better offer, but the Raiders decided not to because they didn't want to trade Khalil Mack to the Crosstown team and then leave California. So they're like, no, that's just bad business. We already got these picks from the Bears, so we're going to take those. Which it worked out for the 49ers anyways because they got Nick Bosa out of it.
2: Right. And could you imagine like being being in the barrier myself? Like if the 49ers got their hands on Khalil Mack from the Raiders, my Raider buddies would never hear the end of it. It would just be an ongoing thing about how I I would rub that in their face. And that's exactly why it's the same thing from an ownership standpoint. They knew that would come. So they're not going to go ahead and do that. So but when it comes to Deshaun, I think there's another thing to look at. It's clear as day, even as of yesterday with John Lynch coming out and saying some of the things he said in reference to passing on Mahomes and Deshaun, this allows them to to mitigate their past mistakes. It allows them to move past Solomon Thomas at number three. Um, it allows them to kind of put that 2017 draft that continues, you know, other than George Kittle, right? George Kittle, the gem of that class, Um if they're able to somehow finesse Deshaun Watson onto the 49ers, just from a legacy standpoint, from John Lynch, Kyle Shanahan, they're not answering those questions anymore. Why you passed on Deshaun? Why you passed on Mahomes? Why did you do that? Oh, it's because of Kirk, blah, blah, blah. They keep there. it's, what, three years later, going on four years later now, and they're still answering those questions. I feel like if they grab Deshaun, it's just – it's. Just from top down, for so many different reasons, it would just help the organization so much, which is why I'm willing to give up so much to get him. But granted, I would have drafted him at number three in 2017. Well,
1: if John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan go get Deshaun Watson before the season starts, by time they hang up, you know what they're doing right now as a head coach and and being in the front office. They will have a statue in the Forty ers Museum. Exactly. They will have that statue.
2: Like there's already Shannon, you know, Shana fans, you know, the only Shans. We got we got our whole crew of people who who really love Kyle Shanahan. But to put the cherry on top, that's the thing that's hanging over them. So if they go get Deshaun Watson, just like you said, Leo, throw up the statue. They have literally 10 years of bad draft picks before anyone starts getting on their case because they went correct uh you know corrected a wrong and made up for it got got a guy who's going to consistently put the 49ers in the playoffs and in contention 49er fans will not mention the 2017 and draft ever from that point just like you just like you mentioned
1: you never get this chance. You never do. So I feel like you have to fully just take a swing at it. You have to, because this does, this never has came around in the NFL before where you could basically right your wrong with a quarterback that is 25 years old and with the athletic ability and with the talent of Deshaun Watson. It's never happened before. 49ers have to correct that wrong.
0: And And fans just feel good about the fact that, like, there's some insider information here. Like this isn't a, this isn't like a pipe dream. This is there's there's things that have been said. There's things that have been done that could lead to this happening down the line. But you know we've gone really long, and I would love to talk more to Sean Watson with everyone here. But we probably should end the show this week as much as I could probably do a Deshaun Watson podcast. Uh, Brad, <laughs> if anyone wants to check out your stuff, uh, how
2: can they do it? Um, you guys can find me pretty much on any social platform at the SF Niners and then also at the SF com.
0: It's a great website, great Twitter page. You know, like you said, very player friendly. Um, and that's it. You guys post good content all the time. Leo, how can they check out your stuff?
1: Same spot as always at Leo Luna 93, as well as uh, 49ers goldmine.com for the writing.
0: Well, thanks again for coming on, Brad. Uh, we really appreciate it. You can catch me at ninernate Forty Nine on Twitter. If you want to yell at me, talk about Deshaun Watson. Um, I think that, you know, last week we talked about finding a way to acquire Zach Wilson, and it felt like with the whole Darnold news, it feels like Zach Wilson is not going to happen as much as I want it to. But hey, Deshaun could come. It could happen. Next year, we could be the one making the Chiefs look stupid. How fun would that be? Mahomes with a sad face two years in a row. We'll see you next week on the Niners Nation podcast. Take it easy. Go Niners.